Welcome to the December 6th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's sermon is entitled, The Name Above All Names, taken from Assorted Scriptures, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. We're here at the second Sunday of the Advent season, four Sundays prior to Christmas Day, at serving as a preparation of our hearts and our minds. And I know in a lot of ways, we all prepare in a worldly way for the Christmas season. Uh, we buy our presents, and we put up trees, and we put up lights, and we get the food in stock, and we think about all of the uh, uh, gatherings we're going to attend sometime during the seasons. And all those preparations are expected, and they're exciting, and I look forward to them as well. In fact, Gwen and I took a couple days this week to do some, some Christmas shopping. We went out of town to try to do the last of the Christmas shopping and get it all taken care of. And I want you to know we have become really good grandparents of little boys because we have bought them the loudest, most obnoxious presents than you could ever imagine. Yeah, just to drive their parents crazy. Uh, they drove us crazy when they were little, so now it's their turn, and I'm glad that we can contribute to that. But there's another side of the preparation that the world largely leaves out, and yet it's the most important, and that is to prepare our hearts and our minds and our souls for the coming of the Christ child. As we think about why Jesus was born in a manger, why he lived some 33 years with his life culminating on the old rugged cross in the empty tomb, rising back to heaven who is now still the Lord of glory. As we prepare our hearts for the coming of the Christ child, I think we need to, to remember that that is the centerpiece of what Christmas is all about. Sometimes, I, the, absolutely, Jesus has been kicked out of his own birthday in the world. The world rarely thinks about the Christ child. But we are called as believers, as the church, to keep Jesus in, as the centerpiece of everything we do and all of our celebrations, whether it's here in the church or within our home or out in the world, we are to remind the world that Jesus is the centerpiece of Christmas and every celebration that takes place. So today I want to study just briefly the name that God chose to give His Son. You know, the Bible is full of titles for Jesus. He is known as the Son of Man. He is known as the Son of God. He is known as the Way and the Truth and the Life. He is known as the Door. People called Him Master. People called Him Rabbi, called Him Teacher. John the Baptist called Him the Lamb, and we see that reflected in the book of the Revelation. All of those are titles to the Son of God. In fact, the greatest title of the Bible, I think, is Christ, the Messiah. And we often attach Christ to the name of the Savior, who is Jesus, Jesus the Christ. Jesus is his personal name. Christ, along with many other terms, uh, are descriptive of who he is and what he does and his title uh, and his glory. But God's Son has one personal name, and that name is Jesus. Now, we know that that was the name that was chosen by God himself. In Luke chapter 1, verses 30, 31, the angel of the Lord speaks to the future mother of Jesus. And this is what the angel of the Lord, speaking God's word, says. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. And then, too, in Matthew's gospel, we see the same thing happen with the earthly father of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, 
the angel of the Lord speaks to Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, and says this, The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. So for mother and earthly father, we see that the angel of God directs both of them to call his name Jesus. There is to be no dissension, no discussion, no disagreement about the name of their child. God himself says to both parents, you will name my son Jesus. To me, today, that name is the sweetest name of all humanity. It is the one name that brings us hope. It is the one name that assures us that we can have eternal life that we can have forgiveness of sin through that one only name of Jesus. What does that name mean? Well, of course, Jesus is the Greek Aramaic version of the name. There's a Hebrew version of that name. Do you know what it is? The Hebrew version of the name Jesus is Joshua. They are synonymous. They mean the exact same thing, just in different languages. They are the very same name. And the name Jesus, the name Joshua, means uh, salvation is of God. It means deliverer. It means rescuer. In fact, as you go back to God speaking to Joseph once again in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, God says this to Joseph, You shall call his name Jesus, and then he adds this statement, For he shall save his people from their sins. So he says, This is his name, and this is the definition of his name. This is Jesus who will save his people from their sin. God is salvation. God is the deliverer. God is the rescuer. So God himself defines the name of who Jesus is. There's only one name, there's only one man in all of human creation who fulfills the name Jesus. Now there have been many who have named, been named that name. It was a common name in Jesus' day. Uh, Joshua, a common name in the Hebrew culture. But there's only one Jesus who truly is the Savior of the world. There's only one man who makes that name the sweetest name of all humanity, and he alone is worthy of our honor, he is worthy of our praise, and today is honor of our, he's honoring our, uh, being honored by our worship. Amen? We're grateful that we can worship him, that we come before him in the name of Christ, knowing that he is the Savior of the world who gives us life. Now, in the moments that I have in this sermon, I want to take you on a quick trip through the Bible. I can tell you this, you will never keep up with me on this trip in your Bible. Here's what I want you to do. If you notice in your bulletin today, there is a little blank place. I would advise you to take a few notes, write down a few scriptures, and keep up with me as best you can uh, in this sermon about the name of Jesus. Uh, as we... As we prepare ourselves right now, and if you're streaming with us, that's my advice to you. Get out a little piece of paper, take a few notes with me today. I want to point out in this quick trip through the Bible, 12 ways the name of Jesus is used in the Word of God. 12 ways the name of Jesus is used in the Bible. Now believe me, this could be a two-hour sermon. Settle down, it will not be. Just calm down. It will not be a two-hour sermon. It could be because I'm giving you a mere sample of the way the name of Jesus is used throughout the Bible. I'm going to pick 12 ways that the name is used. There are scores of ways the name of Jesus is used in the Bible. I'm going to give you 12 that I think are very important. Here's the first 
point of the 12 in the way that Jesus' name is used. Jesus, the Son of God, is the one name of the Bible to be worshipped. If you would go to Matthew chapter 2, you know that the wise men, the magi, come to the birthplace of Jesus. They find him in the house, and it says this. When the wise men, when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. I believe that sets the stage for our lives, that we too are on a regular basis, we are to be worshipping him. He deserves our worship. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy that we fall down before him in utter surrender that we might worship him, that we are willing to follow him. You know, worship is not defined by who we are. A lot of people say, I'm going to worship when it's convenient for me to worship. I'm going to worship when I can work it into my calendar. But worship is really not on our schedule. Worship is on the schedule of God Almighty. And therefore, we should be worshiping Him on that regular basis, day by day. Now, it's important that we gather here in church. I believe Sunday by Sunday, if you can come on Wednesdays, I believe worship together and church corporately is extremely important. Do you know the rule of thumb this day is? Do you know what the world defines as regular church worship? Two Sundays a month is regular church worship. Now, it's not to me. I believe that regular church worship is be there when you can. I know sicknesses come and vacations come, but be there in church when you can because Jesus is worthy of our worship. Jesus has the authority for us to fall before him in worship. But worship goes far beyond just church services too. We should worship him on a daily basis in our own lives. We should give him time. We should give him conversation in prayer. We should give him time to speak to us. But worship is extremely important in the life of the child of God. Second point, Jesus is the one name that has absolute authority over Satan himself. Jesus has authority over the temptations and the attacks of Satan. Now, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus and Satan meet head-to-head, toe-to-toe in moments of temptation. You remember that Jesus had been through 40 days of preparation, and he meets Satan in temptation. And Satan wants to tempt him to break his relationship with God the Father. God the Father and Jesus are one. Satan's temptations are structured so that he can break that commitment of God the Father to his Son and Son to Father. He tempts Jesus to make stones bread. He tempts Jesus to tempt God himself. Take yourself and throw yourself off of the temple and see if God will catch you. And of course, the greatest temptation, the third temptation, is when Satan himself says to Jesus, look at all the kingdoms of the world. Look at all the beauty of the buildings of the world. If you will break your relationship with God the Father, and if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you everything of the earth. And Jesus says to Satan in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So the devil is forced at that moment to leave the presence of Jesus in sheer defeat. Jesus defeated Satan in those moments of temptation. But three years later, he ultimately defeated Satan when he walked away from that tomb. 
Satan took a moment and bruised Jesus' heel on the cross, but according to Genesis chapter 3, Jesus crushed his head when he walked away from the tomb. Now, we can look at our world today, and we can see that Satan is on the war path. We can see many evidence of Satan being among us, but I want you to know this. His death certificate is already signed. It was signed the moment that Jesus walked away from his tomb. We know his future. We know he's going to inhabit the lowest part of hell because Jesus won the battle over Satan. Third, Jesus is the name of healing. In the gospel, we see that he heals the leper, he heals the blind, he heals the crippled, he healed the woman who was caught in adultery. In many ways, he healed her emotionally, Spiritually, physically, I believe he healed her. He healed Zacchaeus of his selfish sin. He healed the fear of his disciples when they were in a boat in the middle of a storm in the greatest fear of their life. He healed them because he said, do not fear, I'm here with you. He healed the sorrow of Jairus. Remember, Jairus was that man in a town who had a 12-year-old daughter who lied dying on her bed. And she was 12 years old, and, and Jairus comes to Jesus and says, Please come heal my daughter. And Jesus healed Jairus' sorrow and guilt. How did he do it? He healed grief by healing the daughter. He raised her from the dead off of that deathbed. What I want you to understand this morning, there's no healing that Jesus cannot accomplish. Whatever you need, whatever healing you need in your life, whatever healing I need in my life, Jesus can accomplish that. Because he's the God of healing. Fourth, the name of Jesus is godly wisdom. Now let me give you an example. There's wisdom of Christ throughout the New Testament. But let me pinpoint one place. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Uh, rather, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. Jesus teaches godly wisdom in that we are to be meek. Jesus was the meekest man who ever lived. He wasn't weak, but he was willing to surrender to the will of God the Father. We need to be willing to surrender to the will of Jesus Christ in our life. That's meekness. He teaches us, too, that we are to be merciful, that we are to be pure of heart. And in this day and age in which we live, we strive always for pureness of heart in the midst of a society that wants to drag us away from purity. Jesus teaches us to be the salt of the earth. I said in the earlier service, my father used that term quite a bit to be the salt of the earth. The way my dad used it is, you make sure that your word is your word and it's going to stand. Make sure that when you speak it, it will be a, a word of truth, be the salt of the earth. I believe that's part of it. But we are to be the salt of the earth and that in the way that salt changes the taste of food. We are to be the presence of Christ in the world so that we, as Christ's representatives, change the world by his presence there. We're to be the light of the world, Jesus says, and that we take his light and his love and his grace into the world. He also teaches us that we are to forgive our neighbor. We're to go the extra mile in ministry. But he also teaches us in godly wisdom that we are to live on this earth and we're to live in such a way that we uh, show him to the world, but we store up our treasures in heaven. So many people of the world are trying to store up their treasures here, but what they will find at the end of the road is their treasures will be gone. Their treasures will be eaten by moth and consumed by rust. 
Jesus says, live on this earth, live as my disciple, live to communicate my love, but store up your treasures in heaven. Store up that which is important in heaven. In every area of life, Jesus teaches us to live productively and righteously and wisely in the way that we represent him. Fifth, Jesus is the name of true prayer. You know, the world will show us images of masses of people who are bowing to their God or to their gods several times a day. But the Lord Jesus tells us this in John 14, verses 13 and 14. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye ask anything in my name, I will do it. Is that an amazing promise of the Bible? When we think about the utter authority that Jesus has in our prayers. Jesus is the name inside of every true prayer. Prayer is not prayer without the presence of Jesus in it. I remember years ago, and I'll just throw this in very quickly. Years ago, I was, I was asked to pray at an international race in Richmond. Uh, and it was an amazing thing to see 90-some thousand people surrounding me and being televised around the world. But when the lady called and said, will you lead us in a prayer at this race in Richmond? I said, I will lead it on one condition. Can I pray in Jesus' name? And if she'd said no, I said, no way will I come to pray. Jesus is the name in every true prayer. And it has to be. Sixth, Jesus is the name of everything we have provided in life. If you have precious family... If you have wonderful friends, a home, material things, food on your table, it all comes through the provision of Jesus Christ. We know that he took two little fish and five little loaves, and he uh, fed 5,000 people. Uh, Jesus can take our little bits of energy and our talent and our effort, and through his provision, he can create in us and through us a very blessed life. But it's by his provision that he uses us and blesses us that we can serve him and give our lives to him. Jesus alone fulfills the Hebrew name of God, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh means God, the great provider. I knew some of you would know that. He is indeed our great provider. Seventh, Jesus is the only name on the cross of our forgiveness. Scripturally, that is true. Write this scripture down. Matthew chapter 20, uh, rather 27, verses 35 through 37. Matthew 27, 35 through 37. And they crucified him and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. His name is on his cross. The only name of humanity on the cross of our salvation. Eighth. Jesus is the only name on the resurrection from the grave. Matthew chapter 28, verses 5 and 6. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Jesus is the only name connected with resurrection from the grave. The angel says so. Ninth, Jesus is the central name of the church. All that the church does revolves around Jesus the Christ. Listen to Matthew chapter 16, 
verses 16 and 18. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered, I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus builds his church, as he refers to Simon Peter here, on the faith of saying, Thou art the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. I put my faith, I put my trust, I put my life in your hands. Jesus said, That's the faith upon which I build my church. And by the way, when it says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, it doesn't mean that the gates of hell are pushing up toward the church. It means that they cannot resist when the church comes toward them. There's a big difference there. The gates of hell cannot stay closed when the church comes toward it because the power of Jesus and the power of God's people is greater than the power of Satan and any demon that ever existed. Jesus is the centerpiece of the church. It is the central name of the church. All of the church revolves around him. Tenth, when God Almighty draws history to a close, when all is said and done, one name is going to stand above all names in all of the universe. One name is going to stand above earth, it will stand above heaven, and it will stand above hell. According to Philippians chapter 2, Every knee is going to bow to the name and to the authority of Jesus the Christ. Now, John 3.16 tells us that Jesus will be the only name through which the saved are saved. It is through Him and Him alone that saved people are saved. It is through Jesus alone that we are believers and that we are pardoned of sin and that we have life everlasting. So, John 3.16 assures us of that, that the Lord... When he saw this world, gave us the Christ, gave us Jesus, that we might be forgiven. For whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But listen to this. Jesus is also, also the name by which the lost will be judged. The saved will be saved through Christ Jesus. The lost will be judged through Jesus. Revelation 20, verses 11, 12, and 15 and I saw a great white throne, and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And anyone not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So what we see here is the book of life, and we know the way to get a name, our name written in the book of life is to come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Every time a boy or girl or a man or a woman comes to this altar saying, I want Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, I have this mental image of the book being opened and that name being written uh, by the very hand of God. I can't wait to get to heaven one of these days. One of the first things I want to ask is, can I please see my name in the book? I want to see what the handwriting of God looks like. And so we know that being saved is having your name in the book. Being lost is your name not being in the book as a rejecter, as a non-believer, as one who has never come to Christ as Lord and Savior. And according to this passage, not only will he be the Savior, he will also be the judge. Number 11. 11th, Jesus is the name that will rule over all for all eternity. Now these moments we've just talked about the judgment. That period of time where the saved will be saved forever. The lost will be lost and judged. But 
point 11 is that Jesus will reign over all for all eternity. The Lord himself says this in Revelation 1, verse 18. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and I have the keys of hell and of death. Well, certainly we know that Jesus is going to rule over all of heaven. He is the Lord of glory. He's the one who left heaven to come to us. He's the one who ascended back to heaven. He is the ruler. He is the Lord there. He is the Lamb. He is the Son. He is the Savior. He is the worthy Redeemer. But Scripture also says that He will honor and uphold the decisions of the lost who ridiculed Him, who rejected Him as Savior. For all eternity, the Scripture says, Jesus himself will hold the keys of hell. You know, in so, many, uh, in so many portrayals of Satan, you might see him with a big old pitchfork, and he's standing there as he's reigning and ruling over hell, that he is, he is the one who is watching over everything that goes on in hell. That is not the truth. Satan will never rule hell. Satan is going to be in hell in its lowest part. Jesus rules hell. Jesus holds the keys even to hell. Then also, point number 12, that was so, that's so important, and I want you to be sure that you hear this point. Jesus is the name of invitation. Jesus is the name that every person on earth should hear. Every person on earth should know that he went to the cross to die for them. He rose from the grave to give eternal life to them. He is the Lord of true forgiveness. It does not matter your color. It does not matter your nation. It does not matter your past. It doesn't matter how deep your sin was behind you. Jesus will receive any person at any time who comes to him in faith. On the last page of your Bible, you will find Revelation chapter 22, verses 16 and 17. And here's what those verses say. I, Jesus, am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Whosoever will. Jesus doesn't specify a color or a gender uh, or if you're rich, or if you're poor, if you're slave, if you're free. He just says, whosoever will come to me to take of the water of life freely, I will save that one. You will become my son, my daughter in that very moment. Jesus is open and willing and eagerly awaiting every single person who will call on that most magnificent name. And he will receive you freely into the kingdom of God as son or daughter. But listen, this is a free, open invitation, but it does have a time limit. The Bible teaches us, it's crucial that you understand this, that you need to decide for Jesus as Savior before you close your eyes in earthly death. Once that moment comes of earthly death, there will be no do-overs, there will be no U-turns, there will be no redecisions. The decisions we made in this life for a Savior, either for or against, will stand for all eternity. 
and there will be no repetition of being able to make another decision. At the precise moment of our earthly passing, our decision for or against him stands forever. And it will rule whether we go to heaven or whether we go to hell. That's what the Bible says. I'm just giving you the truth of the Word of God. So if you need Jesus as your Savior, here's my word to you. And I say it with all humility, but I say it with all passion. Today is the day of your salvation. This is the moment you need to come and say, Lord Jesus, I need you as my Savior. I believe you died for me on the cross. I believe that you shed your blood to forgive my own sin. And I believe when you walked away from the tomb, through my faith, I will have life eternal, life everlasting. I come to you as my Savior. So many people, I believe, say, I'll wait until I'm better. I'll wait until I've read a little more Bible. I'll wait until I conquer this sin in my life. I'll wait till I'm a little older. I'll wait till I'm a little closer to the kingdom. Don't wait. Don't wait. Today is the day. This is the moment. This is the invitation. And you can receive him this moment to just say yes to him as Lord and Savior. Jesus is the sweetest name of all humanity. And I want you to have him as your Savior. Whether you're here in this sanctuary, listening today outside on FM Signal, streaming with us, wherever you are, my prayer is that every person will know and say the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. It is the greatest decision. It's the only eternal decision you can ever make. Will you make that decision today? If you've never come, you come today. Church, those of us who are believers, those of us who know Jesus, we know that sweetest name, my prayer is that we will take that Savior into the world and we will be witnesses for him and we will take that love out there where it is so desperately needed and you will cross paths with people throughout this week who may celebrate Christmas with trees and presents and lights and all of those things, but they've missed the true meaning of what it's all about. My prayer is that we will be witnesses to the centerpiece of Christmas and that we will truly be witnesses to Jesus the Christ who loves us and saves whosoever will come to him. Let's have a word of prayer together. Our Father, our God, thank you for these words, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the many ways that you show us who Jesus is. I, I feel so insufficient even trying to, uh, to talk about it because you are so much, Lord. You mean so many things to us. Just to pick out a few is, is not easy, Lord, but I pray that we see this little snapshot of a Savior who loves us, a Savior who has given us life, a Savior who has given us the fellowship and the witness and the ministry of the church, a Savior who left the glory of heaven and came to us as a baby in a manger, a Savior who got his hands and his feet dirty, taking care of us and teaching us the love of God, a Savior who went to a cross and laid down his own life that we might be forgiven, a Savior who rose from the grave to give us eternity. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you teach us who you are. For we who are believers, I pray this day, Father, that we will rededicate our lives to you, that we will, as the Magi did, fall down and worship you. Not to our schedules, but because you are God. Daily, we will fall down to worship you, serve you, lay our lives before you. I pray, Father, as the church, that we will take the good news into the world. I pray for that one who needs you as Lord and Savior for the first time, Father. May today he or she say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I want to be your son, your daughter. 
I want your forgiveness. And I want to live with you for all eternity. I give you my heart, Lord. I pray for that salvation today. Whatever our need for healing, Father, help us to remember that there's no healing beyond your touch of, your touch of healing. Thank you that you love us, Lord. Thank you that you take care of us every moment. Thank you right now that you're speaking to our hearts. We make our prayer in the strong, only name, mighty name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.